Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here. And we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent. And yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. My guest today is a fellow traveler. Uh, Jennifer Gay Summers is also a mom of what I like to call a very complex young person, young (laughs) adult now. And it's something we share in common. Many of the issues that we've dealt with as parents, I think we share in common. We've known each other for several years now. Um, as we've both been on this journey and both been writing about it and learning from it and sharing it with others. Um, So I'm really excited to have you here, Jennifer. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And I'm thrilled to be here today. Thanks for having me. You know, let's just dive in. Like, I I encourage you all to, to check out the bio, read about Jennifer. We'll talk a little bit more later about how you can get in touch with her and, and see her book and all of that. But let's start with, Tell us, I'm going to change my intro question a little bit. Tell us about your role as a mom in a family with a complex kid and how this kind of evolved for you. Sure. To bring you uh, My husband and I adopted our child uh, at birth. And uh, at that time, I didn't know really much about ADHD. I'd been a classroom teacher for 13 years. But uh, this was 1999, and up to that point, they weren't really identified too much in my classroom. I taught English, and uh, all I knew really is that they were hyperactive kids. So when the birth mother wrote me a note and said that ADHD ran in the family, I thought, okay, no big deal. Uh, that's just going to be maybe a slightly hyperactive girl. And anyway, it's boys. It's not usually girls. Mm. And uh, so it really was something that I dismissed. And it wasn't until preschool that a red flag went up because I was treating my child as typical. I had no idea that there were a whole other raft of things going on. So I was going down the typical path of parenting. And first, we're going to go to preschool with the expectation that we would go to kindergarten on time. We would eventually graduate from high school and get that college degree. I had very traditional expectations as a mother. But when we hit preschool, it was a bit of a red flag I should have addressed at the time. We walked into this classroom and there was a ball pit and a slide on the right and a teacher on the left who was doing circle time. And all the kids were sitting very quietly in their mother's laps, listening to the book that was being read. And I tried to go over there with my child who immediately dove out of my arms into the ball pit, 
started throwing balls all over the room. And it was everything the teacher and I could do to lure her into the circle with an Elmo. But then she grabbed that Elmo and put it in every face's child to kiss and then ran for the slide, dove back down the slide and landed in the middle of the circle, disrupting everybody. So I ended up, <laughs> I ended up in a timeout, if you can believe it. Mommy and me, timeout in a parking lot in this hard white plastic chair with my back to the class because this was supposed to teach my child a lesson. Oh, and of course, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. So we, we started your very first encounter with this after this red flag was parent shaming. Good. Let's start with what's wrong with you that you can't control your child. That's exactly. Wow. Oh, my heart's with you. I'm so sorry. I just, I sat in that parking lot crying, thinking, what is wrong with me? I was a teacher. And so I should be able to control this child. What's wrong with me? Well, do y'all hear that? What's wrong with me? Right? Exactly. That was the first thought. Like, there can't be anything going on there. So what's wrong with me? Exactly. And it's so funny because the red flags, my, my red flags, I think, started before preschool. But, but I remember the preschool ones, and it was trouble with scissors. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. and social anxiety and, you know, like all these other things. So the, the, the flip side of the hyperactive. Right, as hyperactive right. as this kid was typically was the withdrawal. Mm -hmm. right? So it shows up in lots of ways. Right. Okay. Well, it really did. So uh, we did go on track for kindergarten, which okay. again, I wasn't paying attention to the fact that my child wasn't learning her letters really easily. And I thought once again, as a teacher, I can fix this. Mm -hmm. So I found... <laughs> I found a phonics program called Zoophonics for kinesthetic learners because I knew by that point she was a kinesthetic learner. She learned by touch. And with that, I was able to get her through kindergarten and into first grade. But that's where everything really fell apart. Right. And when, one day I went into the classroom and I saw my child cowering under a desk. And I went up to her and I said, what's the matter, honey? And she said, I'm the dumbest person in the class, mommy. Oh. And uh, it, it just broke my heart. And I knew at that point, I have to get help for my child. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that was the beginning of my journey of really accepting that my child was different and had issues that I was going to have to address. Yeah. And, and there's, there's so yeah. much to that discussion of acceptance, right? Like I... Mm -hmm. I have, you know, as, so as you're bringing this up, I, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing my parallel journey, right? The <laughs> decision about whether to go into kindergarten or first grade. And because they were so smart, we decided to go ahead and go into first grade, even though there were certainly indications that the extra year would have been helpful. And then the first right. grade and like how happy they were to go to first grade. And then I remember so vividly, I still have a photograph of them sitting at a desk and I was so proud they're doing their homework for the first time <sighs> before the tears. Right. And the mm -hmm. two hours to do 10 minutes of homework, two hours. Yes, sounds very familiar. familiar right. Boy, that should have been a clue, shouldn't it? <laughs> I, well, my child went to the extent of headbanging against yes. the couch yeah. when it was homework time. I can do this. Do this. I mean, it was, yes. 
and as a parent, you're you're like you see how smart your kid is, right? So exactly, you don't really understand how that whole effort thing works in executive function. Exactly. You just want them, you want to support them in achieving, right? And and even though you're coming to acceptance, which is what I hear you speaking to, that's a process too. That doesn't just happen on a dime. Oh, no, you really have to go through a process where you, you grieve your typical child. Yeah. And also just to give a little perspective to this time, we're talking the early 2000s when there, Google was in its infancy. Yeah. And available. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that was yet to come. And so not a lot of moms were talking about ADHD, even if their kid had it or other issues. It wasn't something that was readily discussed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did feel embarrassment when my child's behavior was out of control. And then shame that it was something I was doing wrong. And it wasn't until, well, we went on from there and uh, my child was diagnosed with classic ADHD and we were sent to a neurologist for medication counseling. And, uh, And then along with medication came a diagnosis of sensory processing disorder and mild anxiety. And it was really the sensory processing disorder that led me down a path that would really help me get through elementary school. And that's because, as you know, medication isn't a magic bullet. It did help Lee focus better in the classroom, but her behavior was still very difficult for her to manage. So we went to occupational therapy for sensory processing disorder. Yes. And through that, she was given a sensory diet, which became the way I could get her to school, the way mm-hmm. I could get her into the classroom and more able to focus and learn. Yeah. And do you want so, me to tell you about it? I was, was going to say, was your morning like ours, which was spinning on the thing first and maybe a little crash pad and some brushing? And <laughs> it was a uh, it was swaddling in a blanket okay. and doing the burrito wrap. Yeah. And I'm feeling like burrito. a cave woman dragging her down the hall behind yeah. me. Wall slams. I don't know if you did those. <laughs> Um, oh, a, a heavy backpack for deep compression, always walking yep. to school for the hyperactivity and then nice. coming up the back path and going to the classroom and doing spinning, like you're saying, holding our hands out. And all I wanted to do was throw up, but yeah. spinning helped her vestibular sense her sense of gravity. And it really grounded her before she went into the classroom. And then a rubber spiked pillow, that sensory aid yep. for tactile stimulation, which she sat on. Yeah, that became very special in the classroom. All the kids wanted to. They all did. They wanted this. <laughs> it was different, but same, right? And at some point, there was sensory jewelry. It's like so you could wear that, so they could chew on it, right? So, so oh my God, it's so fun to to have this conversation and laugh. But it wasn't funny at the time, you know. No, and I was the only one doing it. Yeah, I, and because of I don't know, maybe because I'd been a teacher. I just felt really strongly that I had to put some kind of system in place in the mornings and some kind of, you know, assistance in the classroom so that she would be more able to learn. And this really worked well. So So, so I want to pause this for a minute. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and continue it from here. 
Hi, it's Elaine. And if you like this podcast, you'll love our coach approach. Whether you're a parent looking for support or a professional supporting families, we invite you to download a free guide with 12 key coaching tools at impactparents.com slash gift. You can begin using a coach approach to help kids become more independent or improve all of your conversations at work and at home. That's impactparents.com slash gift. Welcome back, everybody. And my guest is Jennifer Gay Summers. And we're talking about we're, we're way back when our kids were still in like early elementary school years. But when you've got a complex kid with multiple things going on, which is more typical than not, right? So ADHD mm-hmm. often travels in family pairs of things like sensory processing disorder, anxiety, learning disabilities, sometimes later on depression, sometimes autism, all kinds of things show up, right? But what what I like to say about these kids is that they're sensory seekers. They're seeking input. They're looking for a way to help them regulate themselves, their bodies, and their nervous system because they're dysregulated. And so what Jennifer is speaking to is as a sensory diet is one way that we can really help our complex kids with these issues regulate their system. And so it's giving them input so they're not seeking it. We're bringing it to them. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what happened from there? Where are we? So from there, uh, unfortunately, we ended up in a third grade classroom where the teacher did not believe there was such a thing as ADHD. And I have to say that teacher did me a great favor because with his insistence that my child simply didn't have any self-discipline and a brand new resource teacher at the time who thought that I wasn't disciplining my child enough at homework time, I hit a brick wall. I I did not know what to do. And I could see Lee slipping through the cracks and going towards an F. And I got so frustrated. And about that time, I found Attitude Magazine Mm -hmm. and I saw an advertisement for a chat conference. And I thought, how could I lose? (laughs) workshops, seminars, everything about what was giving us so many challenges. So I signed up, I went, and my world did a 180. That was where I finally found the support that I've been seeking for so many years in different ways, Elaine, because around the same time, too, to be very honest with you, my marriage was falling apart. Mm -hmm. Neither one of us knew how to parent this complex child. And so I was pretty much doing it all while my husband worked long hours at his veterinary clinic. And, uh, and I felt like it was my job. I had been the teacher. I was going to raise this child. Figure this out. Yeah. I wasn't giving him any room. And I went to a support group there. That's very familiar to me too. Just saying, I just, I just want to acknowledge your experience for a minute that, you know, I often talk about it as, are you, parenting in a marriage, do you feel like you're solo parenting in a marriage? Mm. Right. And that is, um, that is a really typical situation that it becomes your job instead of your role as a parent. It becomes your job to figure out how to keep this kid moving forward. And, and that's what it felt like. And when I went to that support group at the Chad conference, the moderator asked how many marriages are in trouble today. And it was all mothers. There was only one couple who were co-parenting and they ended up teaching all of us through their example of how they co-parent 
a better way to move forward. Mm. And I came home, I presented it to my husband and he said, absolutely. I just thought you wanted to do this all by yourself because everything I, I brought up, my ideas, you dismissed. You said, mm. I wouldn't understand. So wow. uh, that really helped my marriage a lot. And we're still together after 30 years today. We're still co-parenting our young adult. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but anyway, that Chad conference was where I really, my life did a 180. And I came back to that third grade teacher and I showed him a brain scan of a child with ADHD and a brain scan of a child who didn't have ADHD. And he said, what will they come up with next? Oh, wow. Wow. So... But he did open a door for me. And because of him, I became an advocate. Because at the Chad conference, I learned so many different strategies, accommodations, ways to, to help lead. Well, and what I'm hearing you saying, and, and you know, when we look at what, what's part of recommended treatment for complex kids, particularly those with ADHD in this case, is this combination of information. But information's not enough. It was information in the context of community knowing you're not alone, getting resources, getting skills, practice implementing. I mean, there were lots of pieces for you. It wasn't just, lots. I went and got and learned about it, but it was, it was, I learned not just what's going on, but what do I begin to do to change it? Right. Exactly. Okay. And one of the things too, I, I learned uh, is, you know, to really capitalize on their hyper-focus, to mm. look at those strengths and passions your child has. In Lee's case, it was art. Uh, she's very gifted in art. And then in um, nature. And to this day, that is Lee's passion. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's fast forward a little bit because we, we have about five minutes left in this conversation. Sure. What's important from your perspective? So you had a complex kid, you you learned how to deal with it differently, you began to shift expectations, shift your response. What's important for parents that you want parents to better understand about raising complex kids, whatever their issues are? I think really, uh, the sooner you become an advocate for your child and educate yourself is the sooner that your child also gets educated because it's so important for your child to self-advocate. And as they, which is very difficult. I mean, they don't teach classes on how to self-advocate at all. No, they just expect but, and, them to, and then judge you when they don't. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but self-advocacy is so important. I mean, really critical in high school and I really didn't see Lee do it until high school, but what Lee was doing all those years was gaining more and more self-awareness about all the different, um, uh, Lee, I'm not sure I, I went through all the different complexities, but, uh, you know, the ADHD, the SPD, Lee ended up having three learning disabilities uh, and then anxiety, which really crippled her in high school. And um, in high school, she began speaking up. I mean, she hit her own brick wall and said, enough is enough. I cannot have that teacher again. He triggered my anxiety and mm -hmm. I wasn't able to go to school. So I started seeing all of that evolve. So anyway, back to what I would share with parents, I think the most important thing is to educate yourself and then, of course, your children. Well, and what I'm hearing, and I want to reinforce it, because is educate yourself and get support. 
is. Yes, yes. Right? Don't try to do it alone because yeah. that's the piece that when we are in silos, it's really easy to fall prey to that shame and blame and the, the ways in which the, the system, if you will, brings us mm-hmm. to our own embarrassment and shame. Right. right. Absolutely. And that and, doesn't, you know, the funny sense. thing is once you, once you go out there and you start educating people and they gain compassion, awareness, understanding, the judgment lessens. Yes. Unbelievably, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, so we need to start wrapping up the conversation and um, there's so much more to the story. You let's, let's tell people about your book and that how they can get in touch with you and then we'll kind of wrap it up from there. So you Uh, ended up fast forward writing a book, right? I did. I did. I wrote for Attitude Magazine, a blog that uh, it lasted for almost a decade. And it it went back as far as adoption, uh, writing about that into high school graduation. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that formed the skeleton for a memoir. And uh, I spent the last four years writing this memoir. It's almost finished. It's called Chasing Lee. And of course, it's about the struggles and triumphs of raising a child with ADHD and other disabilities. <laughs> right. Yeah. And how can people find out more about you? I have a website, jennifergaysummers.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, Jennifer Gay Summers. Beautiful. Beautiful. So what have we not spoken about that you think is really important that we address today before we wrap this conversation? Uh, one of the things that really was difficult for me, and I, I did touch on it a little bit before, but comparing my child to typical children. Mm. And I think that's one, you know, that wonderful quote by Mark Twain, comparison is the death of joy. That was a really hard one for me to get. Yeah. I think because I was so locked into my traditional expectations of how I thought my child was going to proceed through the school years. And so it wasn't until high school when my child really went down that I ended up having to surrender all of those notions of having a typical child and accept my child where she was at the time, meet her there. And, And now life is so much better. Well, you know, what really strikes me, and I couldn't agree with you more, is that not only do I think that we as parents are called to grieve the the, the loss of the child we thought we were going to have to embrace exactly. the child that we have, as yeah. you mentioned earlier. And I think that's the case for all parents, not just parents of complex kids. It's just more, more compounded for us. Right. But I think for us, it happens again and again and again, mm-hmm. because every time they don't hit a milestone that their same age peers or typical peers hit. Every time we watch other, our friends' kids doing what we thought our kid was going to do, right? we have to process it again. We have to come to terms with it again. It, it's not yes. a one-time thing. Yes. Just when you think you've let go, yeah. something else comes up. That's right. Absolutely. And That's right. uh that was, yeah, that was a big thing I had to come to terms with, especially in high school, that everything I thought was going to happen for my child in high school just wasn't going to. And once I met my child where she was at that moment, we were able to go forward and on a new path that was unique to, to her and so important. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So before we wrap this conversation, anything else you want to add? Any anything else that we haven't touched on you want to include? Or I really, I, well, I will go back and, and say again, don't be afraid to share your child's diagnosis. I just, I can't say enough how important that is. I was a very afraid to speak up for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that only held us back yeah. because once I spoke up and once help came, the more my child could succeed. Yeah. So, um, so that would be probably in my mind, the best advice I could give. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing that I heard you saying a minute ago that I want to highlight is that notion of, We have to let go of the expectations of everybody else and create expectations based on who our child is, not who we thought they were going to be or somebody else thinks they should be. And that that's some work as a parent. You know, when we talk about doing your own deep inner work, that's because we have spent so much of our lives living according to everybody else's expectations that we begin to lose touch with what what are ours and what we think they should be and what are they really and so we really have to do that work with this new being in front of us to figure out what what expectations are appropriate for this kid, not to lower the bar, but to meet them where they are, as you say. Exactly. And as you know, I was tested so many times, but really in the senior year of high school, when Lee switched from she, her pronouns to he, him, they, them, that was the biggest thing. I had to ever let go of was I thought I had a daughter and now I had a son and I had to grieve that daughter. So yes, letting go of traditional expectations was a big one for me. Yeah. And And again, uh, it happens again and again. And as you and I go through this journey, both of us had children who were assigned female at birth who now are, have assigned them or have, choose, I don't remember the language, I got to get it right, because my kids are constantly <laughs> educating me, right, who go by different pronouns and identify with with a different um, gender. It's a constant learning curve for us. It's a learning curve. And that said, I, uh, I am so fortunate to have Lee's full support in yeah. uh, describing my motherhood journey to you today. And also in my book, uh, from what I was going through at the time, I had a daughter. I had a she, her. And uh, it, Lee has given me his support to to use those pronouns when I'm talking about that motherhood journey because it was so <laughs> unexpected. Yeah, on so many levels. <laughs> on so many levels, right. <laughs> so, Jennifer, thank you for being here. Thank you for being so, for sharing your journey on so many ways, in so many ways with so many parents, it's really, it makes a difference for parents to see themselves in someone else's voice. So I really want to acknowledge and honor the work that you've done, bringing this work, bringing your story out to, to support others in similar circumstances. Thank you, Elaine. And thank you for having me on today. It's an honor. Thank you. (laughs) To those of you listening, take a moment. What's your takeaway from this episode? What's your insight? What's one gem or insight or aha that you want to take forward with you from this conversation as you move forward into your week? And as always, thanks for what you're doing for yourself and for your kids. At the end of the day, you make an enormous difference. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. 
You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.